Welcome to 721 Live. I'm Sam Hunter. I'm glad that you're with us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you. We've got an interesting conversation. We're going to further the conversation about Jesus' statements and warnings about narrow gates and the broad road to destruction. Picked up on that last week. We're coming back to it to spend more time because when Jesus gives us a warning, we want to pay attention. So, we're going to jump on that in just a moment. Let me first remind you that 721 Live is the radio arm of 721 Ministries. If you go to our website, 721ministries.org, 721ministries.org, you'll see a lot of different thing options there. Past radio shows, our Vimeo channel, different posters. As a matter of fact, one of the posters that we're going to talk is on that site that we're going to talk about today, our what we call our Gates and our Thrones poster. Shows a series of thrones and it shows a series of gates. So you can look that up at 721ministries.org and our, our sister website is puttinggreenblog.com. Puttinggreenblog.com and you can access that off of the website or directly. On that we have our Putting Green devotionals, weekly devotionals you can sign up for for free of charge. And we also have our books. We've got devotional books, and we've got another book about living with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've got two more coming out soon, which I'll tell you more about. So thank you for being with us at 721 Live. Again, I'm Sam Hunter, and let's jump into this whole idea of these narrow gates. Before we do it, part of the narrow gates, part of the things that Jesus warns us about is being too busy and being too distracted. And we talked about that last week, so you can pick that up if you go back to the website and pull up those past shows. But I think sometimes about the stories, and the two different stories, one in Matthew and one in John, about Jesus clearing the temple. And I think sometimes that's probably what he feels like he needs to do with my brain, with my head, especially when I'm trying to slow down and have a meaningful, rich, quiet, contemplative, interactive, conversational prayer with my Heavenly Father or with my best friend, Savior Jesus. It's like in Matthew describes that Jesus entered the temple courts, like entered Sam's head and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. Sam, your brain, is, your body is my house. It's to be a house of prayer. You're making it a den of robbers with all of this. And then John describes him going in and, and into the temple courts and finding people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all out, the sheep and the cattle, and scattered the corn and corn coins and the money changers and overturned their tables and said the same thing. Get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. I feel sometimes like that's my brain. And that Jesus needs to come in and put together a little whip and start running out all the distracting thoughts that are ping-ponging around in my head. Can I get an amen on that? Because I know that one of these things that we all suffer because we're human is wandering thoughts in prayer. And I just was thinking about that the other day because distractions are such a huge part of Satan's arsenal, his plan to keep us from having that deep, rich prayer life with, with our Heavenly Father and with Jesus. So whenever you get those wandering thoughts, just think about Jesus coming into the temple, your brain, and having to run all those wandering thoughts out, out of there, competing thoughts against that peace and quiet and love and joy that you can have with him. Let's go back to this statement that Jesus made, and we, we spent time on it last week. I, I talk, described a poster that 
uh, about us and these narrow gates that Jesus, and I want to focus on that again, these narrow gates that come up in our lives. In Matthew 7, 13, Jesus gives us a stark warning. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Large crowds, I would, he would say, are flowing right down that broad road to destruction. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, on the surface, this appears to be a salvation warning that, that many people are on the, on the road that leads to destruction, hell, and many are going to end up that way, and only a few are going to find the narrow road to life, the eternal life. And I'm, I'm sure there's some on some level, yes, I mean, obviously that's true, but in this uh, setting, Jesus is not talking about eternity. He's talking about life now, which, again, was his compelling motivation to teach us, to show us we can live in the kingdom now. So he's saying, look, our culture, even back then, it's a broad road to destruction, and you will float right on down that road, just right on down that river, and you'll miss that little tributary that leads to life. But he's talking about life to the full, the life that he said in John 10, 10, that he came to give us. Only a few. Large crowds are going to miss it. But only a few are going to find it. So we want to spend just a little more time on this because I want you to be in Jesus. wants you to find that narrow path. It broad is the road that leads to the C-minus life or the D life or the F life even. But narrow. You know, he, does, he says some similar things elsewhere. And, and this one is in Luke 14, 25. Listen to the, how Luke describes this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Here we go again. Broad is the road and it leads to destruction and many will enter through it. So large crowds are on that broad road. They're traveling with Jesus. And Jesus does something kind of odd. You know, if, if you're a traveling preacher, a rabbi, if you do what I do for a living, run a men's ministry, you're a pastor at a church or you're, you're involved in organizing whatever, you cannot help but be excited by large crowds. You can say all day long that it doesn't really affect you, but you do. We, we, we like large crowds. Large crowds are an affirmation that we're doing a good job. Although Dallas Willard, I'll never forget when I read him saying we need to stop counting Christians to start weighing them. And that plays into what Jesus does. He says, look, I got all these so-called followers who are really on the broad road to destruction. They're not following me. They're following what the, the miracles that I do. So he's going to ratchet it up. He's going to pull a gate in. And he's going to say, now, look, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to step through this narrow gate. Because broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate. Narrow the road that, find, that, that leads to my life. So, so here he has this large crowds, and he turns around and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, that person cannot be my disciple. Now remember, hate does not mean hate the way we use it. It means to put in second place, to love less. So if anyone comes to me and, and does not love his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, less than me, Jesus is saying. Not that you hate them, but that, you, that they're, they're above me. I, Jesus is saying, for your sake, for you to find that narrow road, I have to be first. It's for your sake, not for mine. Certainly not for Jesus' ego. He says, that person cannot be my disciple. He's not talking about salvation. This is whether or not you are 
a, a disciple, someone who really walks in the dust of the rabbi. And I see if I'm Peter or I'm one of the one of the boys, I'm thinking, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? We got these big crowds. You're running them off. Let's let's don't do that. Let's tell them what they want to hear. Let's give them some more of your good parables, Jesus. Give them give them some more great teachings and stories. But Jesus says, no, no. They're following me for the wrong reason. They're on the broad road to destruction. They're not going to find the life that is truly life unless I slap them up a little bit and get their attention and bring them up to this idea of gates. Because we see this throughout the scriptures that we're brought before these gates and these gates where, are where God says to us, Holy Spirit prompts us and says, look, Sam, you've been carrying that heart issue for a while. It just got to go. I've tolerated it up to now because of other things I was working on with you, but this, that has to go now. Or that, that bad habit. Sam, I, I tolerated that for the first 10 years that we walked together because I knew there were other things that we needed to work on. But now we've gone further and we've come up to another gate, and that's got to go. Imagine yourself carrying a bunch of luggage at the beginning of your journey with Jesus, and each time he draws you up the gate, he says, that piece of luggage has got to go, and that baggage has got to go, and that's got to go. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Let me give you another example. John 6, 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they started to leave Jesus. Now, what's the hard teaching? Well, it's another gate. He's got a large crowd following him again, and Jesus is just not going to allow them to, without being challenged, just go right on down that broad road that leads to a life of destruction. Whether it's a C life or C minus or a D or even an F life, he's not going to stand by and let that happen. I remember early on with 721 Ministries, we've been doing this since 2004. We started in Spartanburg and Greenville. Spartanburg, in the next five to six years, just doubled and doubled and doubled in size to the point where we had about 80 men coming every Thursday. And now, that made me feel really good until I started to realize that half of them, at least, were just showing up at a Christian Rotary Club meeting. It had become the place to go on Thursdays. We served lunch. We had a lot of fun. It was good teaching. We challenged each other and all that. But I realized half of these men, it's become a Christian Rotary Club. So I really cranked up the requirements, started asking them to memorize Scripture and, and recite the Scripture in the meetings and all that, and half of them dropped out. Right, Almost, almost right away, we, we halved our size of because we started counting Christians and not, we started weighing Christians and not counting them. And that's what Jesus does. It's a matter of bringing us up to these gates and saying, that's got to go. John 6.60. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they started to turn back from this gate, you see, and no longer follow him. Jesus looks at the other 12. John 6.67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter gave the answer, the answer of the ages. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Look, Jesus, <laughs> that gate's tight you just put up there. That is a narrow gate. You're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. And now, no, but we got nowhere else to go. We've tried the other gates. We've tried the broad road. It doesn't work. 
So, see, it turns out that these gates that we're being constantly led up to are, of course, for our own good. They're all about choosing. They're all about choices that we make. The narrow gate to Jesus' life, choosing that gate, or the broad road that leads to the destructive C-minus life, or F-life, which I lived for a long time. Deuteronomy 30, 15 Moses has the Israelites poised to step into the promised land, and he makes this statement. He said, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. So here we are again. We're at a gate. This idea of gates goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. You're at a gate. I set before you, Moses says, today life and prosperity or death and destruction. And then verse 19, now choose life so that you and your children may live. Choose life. See, I just keep thinking about this broad road that so many people are going to stay on, number one, because of distractions and busyness. But the ones that are going to find the narrow path, they're going to have to be focusing and looking and purposeful and paying attention and seeking. And I've watched this play out both in my own life and over all of these years, these gates where he brings us up. He stepped into my life in June of 1995, and believe me, my friend, listening to me today, I was on the broad road to destruction. I was all about money, success, popularity, all that kind of stuff. I didn't have a clue that there was a cliff right down the street. But Jesus stepped in, and he showed me the gate to the narrow path. And that was 27 years ago. And in these ensuing 27 years, there have been many times where he stepped in and redirected my path off of that broad road back to the narrow gates because I keep drifting back onto it. Don't you? But each time he does it, the gate is getting a little narrower. Again, it's a bad habit. It's a heart issue. I didn't even know I had it back when I was filled with, with activity sins, with habitual sins, and, and what I call neon light sins, physical sins. And as he carved those away at these various gates, then he started to show me what was going on inside my heart. And it always turned out to be something related to self. So here's how it plays out. The Holy Spirit prompts me, prompts you, that there's a certain behavior that's no longer acceptable. That is, no longer acceptable if I want to go deeper and experience the richness of the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit says, now, I want you to either start doing something or stop doing something. Here we are at the gate. And I immediately know he's right. And you do too right now that I'm talking to you. I know he's right. There's no confusion about that. The only confusion is the conflict that I immediately start wrestling with because I don't think I can do it or I don't want to do it. So I cry out to Jesus, I want to, but I simply cannot. Don't you, don't you see that, Jesus? This is a part of me. It's who I am. I would change. I'd go through this gate. I'd drop this baggage if I could, but I just I cannot do it. And then Jesus smiles his warm, loving smile, and he's just like he did with the rich young ruler. That was another gate situation. And he says, okay, well, you can hang back. You're still saved. You're still mine. I still love you. But you simply cannot go any deeper as long as you carry that around. So I settle back. I, tell me if this sounds familiar to you. I settle back into what is the old life with Jesus, but now it's obviously become a C-minus life. I couldn't see it before, but now I, I can see it now. And after a while, though, I said, I just can't, I'm not going to, I cannot live back here behind this gate. I've tasted the richness of the other side of the gate. I got to have it. And I go back to Jesus and I say, I don't know, I can't do it, but I'm going to try. 
but you're going to have to help me. But I want to go through that gate because I know what it's like. And you know what happens every time you've experienced this, I'm sure? Freedom. Freedom. The almost unimaginable relief of finally being free from that thing that was holding on to me or that I was holding on to and therefore was holding me back behind that gate. So as you're listening today, Jesus is saying to you, dear child, you know there's more. You know it. Come through this gate with me and let's find it together because Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. That's what going through the gate looks like. Now, let's take just a few minutes and talk about how that Holy Spirit is working because in Ephesians 4.30, we see the admonition from Paul through the Holy Spirit saying, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when we do what he tells us not to do. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when we do what he tells us not to do, and it's simple because he gives us this long list as a follow-up to this. And, it's, and just think about this picture of the Holy Spirit walking you up to a gate inside your heart, that sense of conviction, not condemnation, but that sense of conviction. In ver, Ephesians 4, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, and I would say drop it at the gate, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in your attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, go through the gate and put on a whole new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he gives us a few things that we find at the gates. Again, Ephesians 4, verse 25. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. If you've been stealing, steal no longer. You must work. Do something useful with your own hands. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. That's what we find at the gates. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to drop that and let's go through this gate into a new life of freedom. Or, and or the Holy Spirit will walk you up to that gate and say, I want you to do this. You've been hiding back behind this gate. You won't, you haven't, I've asked you to reconcile. I've asked you to make that call. I've asked you to go visit them. I've asked you to help them. I've asked you to give money. I've asked you to write that note. I've asked you to do these things, and you haven't done them. If you want to go deeper into the kingdom, you're going to have to step through this gate by doing them. See, the Holy Spirit can, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we do we ignore the Holy Spirit, and we do what he tells us not to do. And we know it. We know it, and so we hang back behind the gate and say, I'm not going to change. When we quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the Spirit. That's not doing what the Holy Spirit has asked us to do. Grieving is doing what the Holy Spirit has made clear he does not want us to do. Quenching the Holy Spirit is not doing what he tells us to do. Listen to what precedes do not quench the Spirit. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through by taking you through these gates. May your whole spirit, 
soul and body be kept blameless, blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit's going to take you up to the gate, and it's either going to be drop this or add this. Make that phone call, reach out, reconcile, forgive, help, write a check for, then it just becomes up to us whether we're going to step through the gate. And as I conclude today's thoughts, and as I have pondered on this for many years, a story in the Gospel of John came to mind, and it really does capture this whole idea of being led up to a gate and being convicted that it's time for a change. John 5, 6, Jesus goes to a festival in Jerusalem. And he goes near the sheep's gate. There's a pool there, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and it's surrounded by five covered colonnades. And there's a man laying there who's been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus walks over and he kneels down and he asks him, do you want to get well? Jesus, he's been lame for 38 years. Of course he wants to get well. What kind of question is that? Now, if I'm watching this, if I'm John, who's recording this, if I'm watching this, I'm thinking, well, I don't understand the question. Of course he wants to get well. He's been lame, an invalid for 38 years, but Jesus knows the heart. And please remember, whenever you see God or Jesus asking questions like this, they're not asking for their own information. They're asking so that we will examine our own hearts. Think about when God comes into the garden after Adam and Eve ascend, and he says, where are you? Where are you? He knows where they are. He's not asking for physical location information. He wants them to think about, think deeply about what has just happened and now where, where they find themselves. So Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? well? What would you have said? Well, just put yourself at the gate. And Jesus says, do you want to get well, Sam? Do you want to get well? And you just insert your name to personalize it. Do you want to go deeper into the kingdom? Because we're all carrying around these baggages, these you know, that are, that are some form of illness, you know, emotional, whatever. And he said, do you want to get well? And you have to ask yourself, maybe I like the way life is now. Maybe I have become comfortable with life the way it is now. Maybe I'm happy as things are. I don't really want to go through the gate. I don't really want to go any deeper. It reminds me of when Elisha is fleeing. You know, it's such a great story. You've got to go back and read it. You know, and, and here we are, we find ourselves in 2 Kings, and he's had this confrontation, and now he's, 1 Kings, excuse me, and now he's hustling away, and God follows him. He's just defeated the 50 prophets on, the, on, on the Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal, and we get this pause in the story. And the way God speaks to him is exactly what he's doing with us at the gates. So here's the way it reads. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? No, God's not asking for information. He wants Elijah to think deeply as well as he does you. And he replied, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, from, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on 
on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, and when Elijah Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then God Almighty asked the same question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you running for your life? Did I not just demonstrate my incredible power and my absolute presence by pouring fire, fire down from heaven down on, on your sacrifice and defeating 450 prophets of Baal? Given that display of raw power, why would you be panicking? So he asked him a second time, but this time he asked him in a whisper. And that's what these gates look like, my friend. And that's what I want to leave with you today. He, Holy Spirit will pull you up to, these, if you up to these gates. If you're not listening, if you're busy, if you're on that broad road of busyness and distractions, you're not going to hear it. You're not going to hear the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart. And you're going to miss that narrow gate. His voice to me in these situations is typically a, a, a gentle whisper. It's, it's as if he were pulling me up and saying, Sam, do you want to get well? So I'm asking you today, are you listening? Do you want to hear him? Are you willing to look deeply inside and see if you're standing before a gate? Do you actually want to get well? to go deeper into this, this rich kingdom where Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever, whoever enters through me will have eternal life. They will go in and go out and find pasture. As Jesus stands over this lame man, he wants him to think deeply about what he wants. Perhaps he's become very comfortable being an invalid. Maybe he's a victim, and he likes being a victim. Because when you're a victim, somebody else is at fault. If you are going to get well, if you're going to step through the gate, you have to be proactive. You can't lie around anymore and blame it on somebody else. That'd be a whole new world. Maybe you want to ask yourself, am I willing to do that? Am I ready to do that? Or have I become comfortable being a victim of what somebody else did to me at some point in my life? My friends, finding these gates... Being aware that these gates are everywhere. If you are walking in a deep conversational relationship with Jesus Christ as your best friend, as your Savior, with your Heavenly Father, you're going you're gonna to see these gates. And then it comes back to are we willing to step through them? Are we willing to drop whatever it is we've been carrying with us? Are we willing to step out into a whole new world with Jesus holding our hand, taking us forward to live that life of freedom, the unbelievable relief of finally being rid of whatever we were holding on to or was holding us back. My friends, watch for those gates. Listen to the Holy Spirit conviction. I'm Sam Hunter. This is 721 Live. So long. God's peace to you. I hope to see you next Friday.